So we're going to dig right in here uh, this morning uh, in part six of our series uh, called Faithful. It's a study in the books of First and Second Peter. We're going to be in First Peter chapter four today. The message is entitled Holistic Hospitality. So just a, a basic review, a quick review of some of the places that we've been. If there's one thing we want to understand that in and through the series is that Jesus has suffered faithfully on our behalf. That is the message that Peter is driving home. And it wasn't a senseless kind of suffering. We've all seen senseless suffering out there uh, at the hands of people making poor decisions, but instead this was a suffering that actually altered the course of human history. And for it, for us, it has achieved a number of things. And first, above all things, it's, it's achieved for us a renewed, a revitalized, a repurposed, a recalibrated, a reimagined relationship between the creator and those who were created in his image, who is us. It has done all of those things, so many ways to imagine it, to renew, revitalize, repurpose, recalibrate relationship. Jesus' death on the cross did that for us. It allows us to go into spaces and places and offer that peace and prosperity that we have received in a gym at Horizon School on September 29th. 28th? 29th. 20th, yes. Uh, it allows us to offer that peace to other people because we've been restored. Beyond that, Jesus' suffering gave us the opportunity to experience new family, which is exactly what Holly was just talking about. We have a bigger family because anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They are brothers and sisters in Christ because Jesus said, My brother and sister is the one who does the will of my Father. So we're invited into a deeper family. I don't know where I would be today without my extended family that is the church. And that takes on different expressions in different seasons as different parts of that church gather together in different places. Beyond a family experience, it gives us a nest egg, essentially. So many people in life are just working to get that amount of money that they can set aside so they don't have to worry about what's going to happen to them when they get old. So we're working and we're working. We're trying to set that aside so we don't have to worry about resource any longer. But ultimately, the greatest resource we have can never be deplenished, can never be uh, done away with because it's kept for us in heaven. That's what we understand through the book of 1 Peter that Jesus' suffering does for us. It gives us a hope and an inheritance kept in heaven that will never fade, which means that we can be very, very generous with that resource. All of this was cultivated. Jesus' faithfulness and enduring suffering was to, con- uh, to essentially cultivate a faithful response in us towards other people. That's the whole point, that he suffered, and so I can suffer because it will help bring people into relationship with him so that relationships could be restored, so that family could increase, and that more people could gain access to the unlimited inheritance that's kept for us in heaven. The context of this whole discussion is in exile. This is a letter from Peter to believers in Jesus who were spread out all over the place in a culture that didn't feel like home. More and more today we're understanding that to be the case for us. But what I also know is that some of the most beautiful communities are found in the context of hard times. Have you ever found that the most 
deep relationships that you have in your life are forged when things are really hard because it requires us to depend on one another. The best community centers, the best expressions of authentic relationship often happen in places where hard stuff is going on all the time. The best community centers are in, are in urban settings where there's uh, a lot of crime, high violence, there's poverty, but people come together because they realize that they need each other. They realize that resource isn't always the answer. Because sometimes we go to more affluent communities where resource is abundant, but nobody knows each other. Nobody connects. People are hidden behind million-dollar doors and don't know their neighbors. And because it's comfortable, we run to those places, but the consequence of running to comfortable places like that is the essence of relationship that God has desired us to be in. And that is why God allows for conflict to happen. That's why he allows for hardship. He allows us to endure suffering because it brings us together. And when we're together, we model the kind of relationships that Jesus has called us to live in. This is what Peter is speaking into. This is the context. So while suffering was a part of the plan for Jesus, it will likely be a part of our experience as well. But we know that suffering has a plan of action. We talked about that last week. We talked about difficult situations that become positive situations when they're dealt with strategically. When we look at hard times and say, you know what, I think God wants to do something in this situation. Through the suffering I'm enduring, I can lead people back towards the Lord. We know that suffering has a silver lining for this very same reason, that people know when they see in us the willingness to endure hard times, it awakens a curiosity to say, what on earth do you have? What is this living hope that exists in you that allows you to go through hard times and still bless the name of who the Lord is? Amen? So a common question that people have, that growing disciples of Jesus have, that I've heard quite frequently is, I just want to know that I'm fulfilling the purpose that God has for my life. Do you ever wonder that? Do you ever wonder how those questions, am I really doing what God has asked me to do? Do I know that I'm using my life to the fullest extent at which he's intended it to be? And there's an easy way to to know if we are or not. And the answer is multifaceted, but it are ability to know whether or not we're walking within God's plan has a lot to do with our willingness to intentionally endure hardship. Do we look at our lives and say, are there places where I'm going that are inconvenient for me, that are costly for me, that are uncomfortable for me, but I'm going there because I know that the living presence of Jesus is in me and it needs to be over there where it's uncomfortable, where it's inconvenient, where it's uncertain. That's how I know that oftentimes I'm exactly where God wants me to be because half the time in my flesh, I just don't want to be there. You know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, I want to be back in our comfortable space at the village where I know how things go. This morning, although I'm having a great time, is incredibly uncomfortable for me to wake up and go to have church in a place I didn't even know what it looked like before I got here. But the Lord says, I will be faithful. And that's just a little thing, right? But when we choose to endure with people who are going through suffering, that's a big deal. Will we willingly walk into those places? Because we know that suffering or hardship for the sake of helping others might lead them to Jesus. That gives me a hope. 
that gives me a great, great hope. So we see a couple different kinds of suffering because we ask this question, how do we know that we're living within the will of the one who sent us to be his presence with people? How do we know we're living within that will? Obviously, knowing that suffering will be part of that, there's going to be a lot of joy. There's going to be a lot of laughter. There's going to be a lot of fun also. I don't want to diminish that. Most all of the years that I've had in ministry have been fun. But the fun has come through uncomfortable situations. That's just how we find it. Some of the most fun I've ever had in my life was the decade I spent at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission in Pioneer Square. Boy, that was an uncomfortable first arrival. It was uncomfortable the first few days, but after becoming familiar with an uncomfortable place, I found an uncommon joy that continues to pay dividends even until this day. When we go into uncomfortable places, when we do it once, we know that we can do it again. And we know that the benefits on the other side are worth whatever risk it takes to get there. Amen? Amen. So we know that suffering hardship sometimes comes as the only option. We've all found ourselves in situations where we're walking down a road and we knew that we were going to have to walk through something. It could be something little like our milk could spill in the cafeteria in junior high. And people might laugh at us as we drop our tray. That's just kind of a suffering that you're going to have to endure for a minute. Or, you know, your, your cat could get hit by a car or something like that. Or your house could be broken into. Uh, or you might be diagnosed with cancer. These are situations that just happen, and we have to walk through them. But in those moments, as we begin to walk, we become very aware of the fact that people are watching how we handle the difficult circumstances that come our way. Amen? People are watching. So there's that kind of hardship. It's the road that we have to walk. There's a second kind of hardship, and it's the hardship that we choose. It's the chosen option. This is another indication of our alignment with the will of God, that we would walk into situations that we don't even have to out of our own free will because we know that we'll be modeling the hope of the gospel for others. Let's think for a minute. Where are we doing that in our lives today? Big places, little places. But what are the places that we're walking into, into a kind of hardship that we don't have to choose? There's an easier road around it, but we still walk into it. Jesus modeled that. Everyone in his community went around a little town, right? They didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritan people. And they would go around that town on the way back and forth to where they were going. Jesus went right through it. He could have gone around it, but he went right through hardship. He went right through hardship for us. So this morning we're going to look at First Peter 4 and have a discussion actually in a few minutes with one of our own, Christiane, who recently of his own free will chose hardship and suffering for the sake of the other. Amen? That's a big example. There's all kinds of little examples too, but I do want to share that because I'm really proud of Christiane. I'm really proud of this church. But Christiane specifically this year has accomplished an incredible goal. He's pushed himself way outside of the edges of what he deemed to be comfortable. And I want him to just share that with you, share that with us this morning. But we're going to look at First Peter chapter 4 uh, for just a minute here. Uh, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 19, but I want you to know this, that most of our discussion will be in the context of verses 7 through 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 and 12 through 19 first 
to help us put the conversation into context. This is a conversation about prayer, hospitality, and service. But we want to put that within the correct context. And these verses about prayer and hospitality and service are couched in a specific context that's important to understand. And it should be no surprise by now that the context we're referring to concerns our ability to live out our faith in Jesus in the midst of suffering and hardship. It just continues to be the theme of this book week after week after week. So let's dive in. Again, knowing that the first six verses and the last seven verses are the context for how we live out a life of prayer, how we live out a life of hospitality, and how we live out a life of service. And so this is First Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Peter says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but to live according to the will of God in regards to the spirit. Verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers up a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God might be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you might be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. That's a lot. 
But we understand again and again that it isn't God's will to save us from hardship and suffering. It's the will of God that he be glorified through it by our actions and our attitudes according to the suffering and the hardship that we endure. It's just a way to flip our mind about the whole thing. And it gives us courage to go places we'd never otherwise go. And we know that when we're in it, we're on the right path. You ever been on a trail? You weren't sure if you were on the right trail? Right road? Right way of thinking? Sometimes we get... But when we know... And sometimes we think that opposition means that we should turn back and go around. Sometimes it does. But when we're suffering for the sake of the gospel, we know that he's called us to keep going, even if we can't see the outcomes. That's important for us to remember. A few observations just about these verses. One, in verses 1 through 6... The first thing I want to say in terms of an observation is that Peter is calling us to follow the leader. Just follow the leader. Follow the leader. You don't have to come up with a plan on your own. Just follow the guy in front of you. His name is Jesus. Follow the leader. Because Christ suffered for us, it is ours to adopt the same attitude. Why? Because enduring hardship for the sake of Christ is the pathway away from senseless suffering. We know that before we came to Christ, there was a whole lot of senseless suffering going on. I know I made a bunch of poor decisions before I really came to Jesus, and the suffering was senseless. God would use it, but he didn't ask me to go through it. I chose that all on my own. Thank you very much, right? We know a whole world full of people out there that are choosing senseless suffering. And sometimes we could come beside them and just tell them about how we senselessly suffered once instead of beating them over the head for the behavior. But if we came alongside and identified, we might help them move away from senseless kinds of suffering. Not only are we led away from it, but we're led towards eternal life. And in fact, the more we move, the further we move from eternal suffering, the better it gets for us, even though there is temporary suffering between here and where we're going. There's two kinds of suffering. There's the eternal one which is the senseless kind. And then there's the suffering that leads to the glory of the Lord, and that's the path we pursue. Follow the leader. Secondly, in verses 2 through 6, we should be ready for some pushback. Don't expect people to feign over your piety. Once we come to Jesus, don't expect people to just be really excited that our behavior got better. Sometimes that we become a target for others when we begin to change our ways Because it shines light on the darkness that we used to live in. So don't expect people to be impressed that you go to church. Don't expect them to be wowed by your outstanding achievements in Sunday school. Sometimes we come to Jesus and then we look back and point at those that aren't there yet. And that's obnoxious. Right? So we don't do that. We do the right thing. We love people unconditionally. We don't flaunt it in people's faces that we've found Jesus. And we're never surprised that they're going to heap insults on us for the way that we're living our lives. We see that more and more in culture today. Ever try to stand up for something that you believe in? It's getting harder and harder in the news and the media and other places to stand up for Christ. Drew Brees recently, it was just on the news that he did, uh, he did a little promotional video with Focus on the Family. He basically told a bunch of students it was okay to bring their Bibles to school and to be kind to people. And there was a whole group of other people who thought that that was a hateful message because 
this organization that he was representing stood for the whole truth of the gospel, and they heaped insults on him. This was like last week. Drew Brees, the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints, stood up and said, hey, love kids in school. And the community took that message and said, that's hateful, and you should be ashamed of yourself. Don't be surprised, First Peter says. Don't be surprised. It means we're on the right track. Keep going. In gentleness and respect, keep going. In gentleness and respect, Keep going. It's really hard to love people when they're spitting back in our faces. But we serve a God who did it first. Amen? Amen. Be ready for some pushback. It would be exponentially easier if we simply went with the flow, wouldn't it? Think about if we could just go with the way of culture. Just think about it. How much easier it would be in the flesh to just say, you know what, I don't have to take a stand for anything anymore. We're just going to go down that road. Imagine how much easier that would be in the minute, in the moment. But how unsatisfactory that would be down the road, right? Jesus speaks to this too in Matthew seven thirteen and 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many will enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Let us be a people that keep finding it, even in the midst of opposition. We will keep finding it. We will keep going after it with gentleness and respect. We will pursue this road and bring anyone who would come with us. Amen? Finally, out of 1 Peter 1-6, through 6, hug your hardships. This is really important to remember. Remember that the light and the momentary troubles that we're going through will lead to an eternal glory for us. Paul said that. Remember that suffering in this life is the key indicator that we're on the right road. Remember that. And remember to suffer for the right reasons. And ask ourselves this question, what fruit is coming from the hardships that I'm enduring? We will see fruit in the hardships if we endure them. Where are we seeing it? Ask the Lord, show me some fruit from the hardship I'm enduring. Just show me a little bit. I had somebody on Thursday encourage me. There was a season I was walking through, and I I saw it maybe going a little differently or a little quicker according to my timeline. And they just said, hey, thanks for being faithful in this process and being patient with people because now we're arriving somewhere. And I thought, thank you. I needed to hear that. That just really encouraged me today a lot. So ask the Lord to show you those places and the fruit that's coming when we're enduring hardship. So these observations. Again, we have this sense in 1 through 6 and 12 through 19 that suffering and hardship will happen. But what's in the middle of it? Peter says in verse 7 that the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. And it's true that what we believe about the future, think about this for a minute, what we believe about the future will determine our priorities for today. What do you believe about the future? Is it hopeful? Is it bright? Is it redemptive? Is it eternal? Because if it is, it's going to change the way I act today. It's going to change what I prioritize today. If the future is dark and glim and drab, if we assume the role of chicken little and run around, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and are in a panic, that doesn't lend to peace. If we point fingers at the troublemakers, that doesn't lead 
to redemption through the way of kindness. Are we getting to work loving people right where they're at? Because we know that kindness leads to repentance. And just be kind with people right where they're at. The end of all things is near. If we believe that, it will create a healthy sense of urgency. When he says this, sometimes say, is it really going to hold on to that? You know, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel and Obadiah and Zephaniah all use similar language about the fact that the end of all things was near. Peter again returns to the Old Testament prophets to say, this is a long obedience in the same direction, folks. It's been 2,000 years since he said this. So is it really near? Is it actually near? It would be safe to assume that this idea of nearness has more to do with things being close at hand than close in time. Because we know that the, the enemy or that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. We won't know, but it's time to be prepared. And he is coming. And judgment is coming. But we're being judged on what we're doing now. The things that we're doing now are going to be what we have to give an account for later. So the time is near. The end is near. And because it is, we are called to be alert and of sober mind. If we revisit the language that Peter uses in chapter 2, this idea of girding up your loins, being alert, being ready for action. That's the language they used back then. It was like a Roman soldier picking up all of their garments, getting ready to run. That we will be alert. We're going to pick it up. We're going to run after things. Why? Why does it matter that we are alert and of sober mind? It says so that we can pray. Interesting. Once we hear from Christiane, Chris Nixon's going to come up and lead us in a brief prayer time this morning. But if we're going to remain in a very difficult place, think about the context that you're walking in today, in your workplace, with your family, with others who may not hold the same values that God has called you to hold. If we're going to stand in this very difficult place, standing firm in our convictions, holding up a very unpopular truth to love people who may oppose us, we're going to need the help of the Holy Spirit like never before. To stand with a hard message in front of people that are ready to spit back at it, at us because we hold it, we need the Spirit of God. Jesus prayed all night in the garden for this kind of strength before he went and did this kind of thing. Hanging on a cross for our sins, loving a people that were rejecting him and rebuking him and mocking him, and he stayed on that cross. Even though everyone around said, if you are the Son of God, come on down off of that cross. He said, I will not, because I love you. Where are those places in our life that we will endure that kind of suffering to embrace a kind of sobriety that will allow us to pray, to show the love of God to people who just have never experienced it before? When Jesus hung on the cross, or before he hung on the cross, when he was going to Golgotha carrying the cross, and Simon carried the cross with him, he got to a place and they said, Hey, Jesus, you want a drink? Because it was common for the Roman soldiers to offer cheap Roman vinegar wine, which had a drug mix in it to dull the senses to be offered to criminals who would die on a cross. Hey, This will take the edge off for you. Jesus, you want a drink? He said, no, thank you. 
I want to be of sober mind when I die for my people. I want to be of sober mind. Jesus died for our sins and he didn't even take a painkiller when he did it. What's that tell us about how much he loves us? Because he wanted us on his mind. The word says that we will fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy set before him. That joy was us. He endured the cross for us, that we might do the same for others. So the question that came to my mind this week when I was reading about how Jesus refused to numb his senses, I asked myself, what am I using to numb my senses when things get difficult? Do you guys use things to numb your 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 senses? Sometimes I know I do. I was thinking about ego. Sometimes I want to puff myself up to think, I can get through this. I can do this. Or worry, which is like, I can't do this. What's going to happen to me if I do this? Or fear or anger. If it wasn't for those people over there on the other side of the aisle, I'll never forgive them. Or I'm just going to stay so busy doing good things that I don't have to think about the persecution that I might have to endure. These are all things we use to numb our senses. And this morning, Chris is going to take some time with us to help us understand how to pray against some of these things that numb our senses so that we can walk and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That we would walk through hardship with that kind of attitude. And that we'd offer hospitality. So that we know the end of all things is near. We're going to be sober-minded and alert so that we can pray. And we're going to offer hospitality to one another. When I think of hospitality, usually I think about being kind to the people that I know, right? You have your friends over for the football game. You have a big spread. Just enjoy being together. But the word that Peter uses for hospitality in the Greek is phylloxenos. And it means to love the stranger. Hmm. Love the stranger. Love those who are at a disadvantage, who won't be able to repay your good needs. This is a way to start a new kind of family in an exiled place. Love the stranger. This models a kind of spiritual maturity that's the polar opposite of reckless and wild living. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Love the stranger. I'm good at loving people I know, but love the stranger? Really? Love the stranger. So we got into this discussion, and Christiane was coming back. Chris, I'm going to have you come on up here for a few minutes. Christiane was coming back from the other side of the world. Here, we'll grab a, grab a stool there. We'll grab a couple stools. Um, and he had an opportunity recently to, to be loved on and love strangers. And so we just wanted to talk about that for a minute. So, Chris, if you could just briefly tell us um, about a hardship, this hardship that you have chosen, uh, the space that you have gone into uh, recently, the changes you've made in your life that made it possible for you to love the stranger well. Um. So uh, I just want to give you a little bit of context because I don't want you guys to think that like, like, uh, you know how there are those people who are always wanting to be missionaries when they're kids. I was not one of those kids. Uh, I am. uh, I think um, one of the things that was pushing me even towards the career path that I started to choose was that 
Uh, I suffered from a very deep dissatisfaction from where I was and um, actually I was suffering from some depression over not seeing any growth in my life and um, not sure where God was going to take me. And so um, one year ago, um, I decided to start to take a small, well, a, a little bit of a risk, which was to um, enroll in a master's program um, about international community development, which I actually didn't even really know what that was. But what that really means is just um, trying to serve the world's poor um, by bringing uh, opportunities for them to in their communities, looking at what com- community resources they have so that they can develop um, and become um, living in the fullness of life. Um, and so when I was learning about this process, um, part of the, the, the process of taking the step is that you have to do field work. And field work means um, uh, you choose a topic that you want to study or a people group that you want to learn about, and you um, go to serve them, and at the same time you learn about them so you can write something that hopefully will contribute to um, what everyone knows about the best ways of serving this people group. Um, But I had a choice, which is you can either choose to um, do something very... uh, simple or easy, like you can stay here, you don't have to go anywhere. They said, you don't have to go anywhere, you don't have to, um, you can choose uh, a community you know really well, you can choose, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a lot of validity to that. People don't have um, budget or ability to go anywhere. But I felt the conviction that if I have the opportunity to go, even though I'm a homebody and I don't like to travel at all, um, I'm going to take the biggest risk I can take and go to the farthest place that that I'm allowed to go. And so... um, uh, so one of the risks that I decided to take was this last summer um, I was offered an internship to with World Concern, which is a nonprofit um, Christian uh, development organization that do, that goes around the world. Right now it serves I think 15 countries, and it only serves the very poorest countries, the countries that uh, start doing better. It, it pulls out of and it starts focusing its resources on the very poorest countries. And I had the opportunity to take an internship with this uh, organization, but the internship was unpaid. So um, the first step was, okay, God, I've been working at the same job for six years, um, and I like being comfortable, um, but this internship is like uh, needs me to work at least, you know, 30 hours. So... Um, am I willing to take the the risk of quitting my job? And so I thought, well, I've been telling myself I want a change and I want to take a risk for God. So the first step is to quit my job. So I quit my job in May and I started this internship. But the second thing is that um, they offered me the opportunity to go to Bangladesh. Um, And so, yeah. So Bangladesh there is, as you can see, it's kind of surrounded by India. It's in South Asia there. And India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh 
historically were one people group. The place that I was going to, they said, is the very southern tip. You see Cox's Bazaar. That is the very southern tip of Bangladesh. Um, and the reason why they have a program there is because um, in 2017, uh, Myanmar, which is uh, used to be Burma, uh, is uh, a country that is primarily Buddhist, and there's a small group of minority uh, Muslims who live, um, if you can go back, who live in the region bordering Bangladesh, actually. Um, and in 2017, there was uh, an ethnic cleansing where the government came in and killed, um, raped, and started burning villages um, and removing uh, and moving them out of their land, taking their land away. And the the during that period of time, t- around two weeks, uh, over 700,000 of people, uh, 700,000 Beng- uh, Rohingya went from th- Myanmar to the area, that very southern area next to Cox's Bazaar there. And so right now, there are over 900,000 Rohingya refugees who live um, in that area in refugee camps. And so the opportunity was given to me, Chris, you can go to a program we have there for youth that helps youth. Um, and yeah, and so my first step risk was just to say yes. I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I just decided to say yes. Awesome. You said yes, and you went to a place that was completely unfamiliar, um, open sewage in the streets, one of the poorest places on the earth, as someone who has said that you, you really love Jesus and you like to keep your hands clean. Just You're a clean person, which is like most people, but you went to this place. Chris and I spent three hours the other day uh, hearing this story, and he would, he would love to be able to share more, but we have to fast forward a little bit into it. That sense of taking a risk, walking a road that he didn't have to walk, could have safely remained in his job, not to say there's anything wrong with keeping your job, uh, but you left your job to pay to go to a place to do a job you weren't getting paid to do, to be in a dirty place when you're someone who likes to be clean, right? So that just tells you that sometimes good things happen when we take that road. Uh, fast forwarding ahead, can you just tell us a little bit in just a minute about how, you talked a little bit about how you loved the stranger. I would say that all of those things that you did were a huge part of loving the stranger. Could you just take a minute and talk about how you were loved well by those that you spent time with? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a couple of pictures I just want to show you just some some a couple of fun ones just first of all uh so uh Bangladesh is kind of like uh that area it's kind of like a jungle actually um so this is actually in the zoo but they have wild elephants that actually go through and it's actually quite dangerous so they have elephant towers to watch for elephants um Cox's Bazaar area actually is also extremely beautiful so um, so this is, uh, Cox's Bazaar actually has the longest beach in the world, which is 75 miles long. Um, and you actually drive along this beach when you're going to the refugee camps. Um, but one of the things that surprised me was, um, this was my first time ever, 
Um, in the, in, so I want to give you context for the risk. This is my first time ever traveling internationally alone. This is my first time ever going to South Asia. I'm going to a place I don't speak the language. I don't. I originally was going to have someone accompany me, and then the staff couldn't accompany me, so I was going completely by myself. It's about a 23-hour flight there, um, and uh, I've never been in a refugee camp. I've never really spoken to refugees. I've never had to have hire a translator. I didn't know anything about translation at all. I um, and I've never actually been in the field with the development staff. So when I went there, I wasn't sure what I was going to experience because there's it's a completely different culture. Most of 90% Muslim. Um, 7% Hindu, uh, like the other 3% like Buddhist and less than 1% Christian. So it is a very different country. Um, but what I found was it was so welcoming. The staff welcomed me as if I was one of their own, one of their team members. And it got to the point where they were putting my work in f- ahead of their work. So every day from like 10 to uh, 4-ish, they would like do, like help me with preparing, getting ready, scheduling things. And then they would start doing their work from 4 to 10 p.m. So they work incredibly hard. But they, I started asking them about this, and they said something that I couldn't forget, which is they said, Chris, um, are you happy? And I said, yes, I'm happy. Uh, and they said, good, because if you're happy, then we're happy. Yeah, and that that was kind of the mentality that the whole team had because they just embraced me and they and they loved me well. Um, I told them without your support because of all those things I listed, um, I felt at home, but I couldn't feel at home without your support. And I don't think there was anywhere else in the world I could have gone with the support of the staff um, that would have staff that would support me in such a way that I could have gotten my work done. That's awesome. When Chris was sharing that, I just thought, what a, what a beautiful thing to go and to make those sacrifices. A lot of the loving you did of those people and it happened before you even met them. Um, and then to be loved back in such a way. Uh, I'm going to invite Chris Nixon up here, too, because uh, in the midst of all this, something that Chris Tien shared with me at the end of our time together the other day was that... Um, it's absolutely impossible to do this kind of development work without being grounded in the spiritual disciplines. The work that Chris has been doing uh, overseas, I really believe, has prepared him to come back and do the same kind of work here because the nations live here. There's displaced people right in our midst. And it's so easy. I am guilty of being one who jumps into the work and forgets to pray before I go. I'm just, that's, and so I try to surround myself with people that are really good at remembering that we should pray before we go. Um, and that's why I've invited Chris Nixon to come because with Christian's comments that we can't be doing the work that God has called us to do in this community on the 28th of September when we're helping kids, when we're engaged with City Life or Connect Casino Road or Casino Road Kids Ministries, prayer has to be at the base of it. And so we want to just open up a little time uh, for Chris to lead us in that. Can we thank Chris Tien uh, for sharing a little bit of his story with us this morning? And I'm going to hand this over to Chris Nixon. Amen. What a great testimony, huh? Yeah. You ready to go? Yeah, I know I am. Yeah. Amen. So um, just listening to the word that was shared this morning, I just want to um, just kind of wrap some things up in prayer. I know um, 
the Holy Spirit's so faithful to um, speak to each one of us, you know, and I'm I'm trusting that he's already done that. And um, so just reflecting on the word, um, I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer and uh, trust that that um, you'll just pray along and uh, the Lord will speak to your heart and uh, do, do a work in each of us. You know, before I do that, I want to share just a little bit, um, just reflecting, a little bit on my week, and it's just going to be a short testimony, but I hope it lays a little bit of a foundation just on where I'm going here. Um, there's a lot of things that can... Um, set us up well with with prayer. This week was, um, I was sharing, I think, with Christy, there was one day that was particularly difficult for me. I slammed my finger in the car door. Never a good start to the day, right? But um, it was a day I had to uh, send Natalia back to college. She's my 19, almost 20-year-old. She reminds me of that quite often. Um, but this year was different. Uh, this year, she packed everything. And um, I remember as she was packing, I went down to say goodbye to her because I had some errands to run. And um, she has this great wall in her room that is a string of family photos. And many times, I'll just go down there and sit in her room and look at the photos. And you know you get caught up in looking at family photos. of And... Um, so I walked into her room to give her a hug goodbye, and I noticed that she had packed all those family photos. And I grabbed hold of her to say goodbye, and I, I said, oh, my family, you, you, you can't take my family, and it just about dropped me to my knees. And I grabbed onto her, and I said, being a mom is really hard. And she said, oh, Mom, I'm so sorry. I'll put them back. I'll put them back. And I said, no, this time you take them with you. And she, I ran my errands, and I came back, and she had packed up and gone. And I went down, changed some laundry or something, and I went into the room, and it was stripped bare. And, you know, if you've been there, you know what that's like. If you haven't been there, maybe you will be someday, and you'll discover it for yourself. But that was the room where my girls grew up. And it was empty. And I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, I know you think that was the best, but I'm asking you to empty it out and to give me everything even though you think it was the best of everything, you give it to me anyway. I'm asking you to empty it. And when we come to the Lord in prayer, we give him everything. Because until we give him everything, he can't fill it back up. All right? Because there's counterfeits in this life. And in reading First Peter 4, it, Peter starts out right away. We no longer live this way. We no longer live like the Gentiles used to. In all that sin. Those are counterfeits. 
And even as Pastor Chris finished up, he said, there are still places I live with counterfeits. When I face suffering, there are still things that I want to replace that suffering with, that anger, that, oh, I can handle this attitude, that pride, or maybe that worry, or maybe that fear. And we want to leave those rooms filled with what we think is the best. But those are counterfeits. And God would say, give me everything. Pour yourself out like my son poured himself out. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be the best. Right? We don't know. All we know is looking at that empty room. All we know is that gut feeling that hurts sometimes. But we can trust that he's better at decorating that room than we are. So let's ask the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are good. That you gave the very best, and that was your son, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you gave it all. That you left nothing. Nothing undone. Thank you, Jesus, that it was because of the joy set before you that you endured the cross. We just give you glory for that now, Lord Jesus. We just remember. And we say, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb of all praise and all glory. And we set our eyes on you. And Father, today we offer up the counterfeits any counterfeits that we have placed in our hearts and placed before us, and we lay them down at your feet. We empty ourselves of those counterfeits, and we offer our lives, and we say, fill it up. Even in the midst of suffering, Father, help us to embrace fully the suffering as Jesus did thank you Father thank you Father Father I thank you that you've given us the option to come to you with all prayers and all petitioning help us to be sober minded and alert Help us to recognize the urgency in this day, in this hour. Help us to recognize the fruit that will come from the suffering. Thank you, Father, that you are so trustworthy and faithful.
with everything we have to give you. Father, even right now, as we've laid everything down before you, Lord, I would ask that even by your Holy Spirit, Father, that you would minister peace to your people. That as they are faithful to walk out, even in difficult times, anything that comes before them, any suffering, any hardships, Father, as they have set their eyes on the course before them, and as they have dedicated their lives to you, Father, in whatever comes, Father, I would even ask, Lord, that you would bring peace to their hearts and to their minds as they seek you, Father. And, Lord, I would ask for a refreshing upon those who have suffered long. For there are many here, Lord, who have suffered long. And so, Father, by your Holy Spirit, even now, Father, I would ask for a restoration and a refreshing to come to them, Father, in the name of Jesus. For even your word says we don't suffer alone. And you never leave nor forsake us. For you restore us and refresh us. So I ask for that now for any that have suffered long, Father, who are going through difficult situations. Father, your presence is always with us. So I ask for that. I ask, Father, that they would, um, that we would sense your manifest presence of peace of restoration, and, Father, even just an increase of joy upon your people, Lord, and hope. Father, stir hope, Father, within the hearts of people. Stir up hope. Father, I would just uh, thank you for this day. I thank you for this body of believers. Is there anyone here just that would be open to say, I'm just really struggling with um, something right now? Is there anyone here um, that would want to raise a hand and say, I'm really struggling with something? Um, I would have, some, we would just uh, have people just lay hands on you and just ask for a special touch. You can raise your eyes. We don't have. You can raise your eyes. Look around and see if there's anyone that just needs um, someone to gather around them. This is the body of Christ. We all have the spirit of Jesus in us if you believe in Jesus. So gather around those who have their hands raised, please. And let's just uh, bless them today before we go. This is what we do. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. We just minister the peace of Jesus. Strength in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word says that where we are weak, Father, that you are strong. Father, you are strength. I thank you that your grace is sufficient for us, Father. Never lacking. Everything we'll always need. I thank you for your grace. So I just ask for an impartation of grace and hope. We just thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you all glory, Father. We ask that you go with your people today, Father. Open our eyes to see where we can be hospitable, where we can embrace those, Father, who need your love. And embrace. Father God, help us to be faithful and to pursue you, Father, 
in prayer for strength, for guidance, for help. We give you all glory, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Bless you and have a good week. Next week we are meeting back at Horizon. As far as we know, that's the plan. Be blessed. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.